We play an ugly game. I want winners. I want people that want to win. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win. You die. There is no middle ground. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This week on Double Dragon, we are trying something new. So Steve and I have two guests on to talk about Hard Home, one of the most beloved episodes of Season 5. With us to help cover Hard Home is medievalist Danielle Alisi, who's assistant professor of history at Millican University. You can see a little bit of what she's written in a book called Written in Blood. She writes a chapter in that book. And then our honored guest this week is Jason Cabasi. Check him out over at Podcastica. Uh, he's the one that chose Hard Home. So we're calling this Rushmore Reboot. And Steve and I will decide whether or not we'll continue along this path based on our numbers. So, of course, we would appreciate rating and reviewing and subscribing and sharing with friends. For my part, I'll say that this is probably the most fun I've had in a long time. Okay, here's Danielle, Steve, and Jason. You can interrupt us at any time to self-promote. To just be like, hey, guess what? <laughs> hey, that's a really interesting thought there, Steve, but here's where you can find me next. But have you seen Yellow Jackets? <laughs> um, all right, so this is the first episode ever of Rushmore Reboot. We cover Game of Thrones faces to laces. And uh, Steve Osborne, you are a comedian in the Bay Area, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy to have you here. And yet, you are not my honored guest. That's... <laughs> That's usually how we start every conversation, so thanks for keeping it consistent. <laughs> Danielle Alisi, uh, you are the only expert among us. You have uh, great insight into the medieval world and literature and history, and I'm excited to have you. But unfortunately, today, Danielle, you are not my honored guest. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um this is just whole this whole podcast is just to nag us <laughs> uh my name is anthony ladon and i do a podcast on game of thrones and i've written several books and yet i am not the honored guest today uh, our honored guest is jason Cabasi of the podcastica empire who is famously uh, working on podcasts related to Yellow Jackets and all of your other favorite television. Welcome, Jason Cabasi. Hi. Thanks for having me. I feel honored and slightly embarrassed, <laughs> but it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so the premise of this podcast is that we bring on a, an honored guest. Jason's our honored guest today, and he has previously told me what his four favorite Game of Thrones episodes are, and then we choose one of them to cover. So let's just start there, Jason. What are the episodes on your Mount Rushmore? Oh, man, I can't even remember which were the other ones. Uh, the, the what was it, The Light of the Seven? Is that the one with the really good um, Raman Djawadi 
musical intro where Tom and jumps out the window. Oh yeah, and then the the whole thing blows up with wildfire. Right, that's season I seven, I think. Right, that yeah, the yeah, I think it was the um, premiere. It was that was beautiful. Uh, the door was one of them. Famously, season six, hold the door. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, the battle of the bastards, I think, was in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then the one we're talking about today is, of course, Hard Home. So tell me why Hard Home is on your Rushmore, Jason. I mean, it's not too complicated. I like zombies. <laughs> um, <laughs> it In the series premiere of Game of Thrones, sat down to watch it, had some friends who'd read the books, but I hadn't. And um, I was into the story and the intrigue and everything, but it was really the the opening scene with the night watchman killed by this white walker mm. and then you see the wildling girl reanimated that hooked me in and if not for that i probably would have followed it but i'm not 100 percent sure if i would have followed the show as closely but that really hooked me in and then i kind of love that they use the whites and the white walkers sparingly in the series after that i don't even think we saw them again in season one and every time we did see them it had a huge impact because they were used so sparingly they were just talked about a lot as this big threat and so to me, all of that, you know, we saw Sam, uh, a big horde of them march by Sam, and then he killed one in season three. But it was just always, if there were fights, it was just one of them, one or two. So all of that was kind of foreplay. And then Hard Home was like the climax, basically. And it was like, oh, my God, we we're finally getting some big action. And I, I just loved it. And my history of podcasting starts with The Walking Dead. We started covering that show back in 2010 and we did all 11 seasons and so we had our fill of zombies but the zombies on that show if you've seen it are slow and lumbering and amc is pretty stingy with their budgets so this scene you know it was just incredibly cool backed by hbo money directed by miguel sapochnik who's a genius and i think this might be one of the first indications maybe there was another big battle episode before this but it was just incredible to watch well i'm glad that you mentioned sabachik i feel like this was probably the episode that launched him yeah this was the first yeah really big one i think we're getting geared up for the sixth annual summer badass fest and while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off badass season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre, we're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was, and those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved the venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. 
Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. So, Jason, uh, to honor one of your favorite episodes, we have some other guests uh, with us. And, Danielle, I thought we'd start maybe with either a one of your observations or questions. W- what did you take away from Hard Home? Well, I love this episode. It would definitely be in my top four probably as well. So I was super excited to come in to talk about it. I think it was just, you know, near flawless. A um, couple things that weren't perfect for me, but we'll, I'm sure we'll get into those today. Uh, but I think it's just such a, such a good episode. Um, I would say um, I'll start with a very general observation since I'm going first uh, here, which is, uh, I don't know how many of you here have, are also book readers for the series. I've read the books, but to me, what stands out the most is just how different hard home mm is because we don't actually see hard home take place in the books you hear about it as this kind of like specter the people come back are deeply traumatized they don't want to talk about what happened there and so i would say my kind of observation is um it's it was a really cool choice on the part of the show to actually use hard home to show us of the stakes. And I think it really serves as a turning point in the, um, the, you know, the white Walker conflict. Absolutely. And here's a great example of Weiss and Benioff making a decision to go out off script, you know, away from book content and create one of the most beloved episodes Almost universally. I've never heard anyone that does not like this episode. So, yeah, not in the books, and yet one of the most beloved episodes. And yet, I mean, it's referenced. It's not totally made up. It's just they they let John go so that we could see it. And I think that that was really well done because it's faithful to the story, but it gives us the the uh, ability to see what happened there instead of just kind of mm. these in-text references to oh, hard home mm-hmm. wasn't good and it shows us how and i think it made that really impactful yeah i like that the framing of that as a way for us to kind of experience the stakes because not only do we see that kind of the damage that these whites and white walkers can inflict but just the fact that john went there hoping to get more people on board to help him fight them and ended up watching them decimate all the people that he wanted to get and then turn them into their own army mm. uh, was pretty chilling. And we all know if you're a fan of zombies at all, that that's what would happen. But to see it and experience it is a whole different thing. Well, especially because Jon Snow has never seen a zombie movie. So this is all new. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's, he's seen one of Jason's great loves for the very first time. 
<laughs> Maybe he saw a zombie play. We don't know for sure, but probably not. Yeah. Zombie puppets. Um, well, the other thing that is not in the books that I thought also raised the stakes, Danielle, is that you've got that conversation between Sam and Ollie, which mm. sort of yes. foreshadows John's eventual death. And basically yeah. Ollie is saying, dude, they killed my family. We were just farmers. And and Sam's response is, well, they're, you know, what there are good wildings and bad wildings. And Ollie was like, the guy who killed my parents is John's best friend. What are you what are you talking about? So that what I noticed is Sam says to Ollie, sometimes a man has to make hard choices, choices that might look wrong to others, but you know are right in the long run. And you can see the gears turning in Ollie's head, like, okay, then I'm gonna kill John Snow. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't picked up on that, but I'm totally. I really think he may not have done that if Sam hadn't said that. I think it helps him justify it, yeah. right? Yeah. It absolutely sets up, and it's perfectly done in the episode of Hard Home, where John's experiences at Hard Home have him come back like full speed ahead, not listening to anybody else. It's all about the White Walkers now. So I think it really plays well into that oncoming tension. Yeah. And then Sam says, try not to worry, Ollie. I've been worrying about John for years. He always comes back. Mm-hmm. I, I noted that. Was very deliberate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good Easter egg. Mm-hmm. How many of us hung on to that when we were waiting to see if he really would come back? Mm-hmm. I remember watching with Steve. Uh, you know, I had watched this a few times before Steve had watched done his first watch. And Steve, I think it was... Was it you or Heather that said, well, they're not going to bring back that actor just to have him lay on a table? <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that was my my wife's uh, observation. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess this is just something that I think we talked about when, you know, during uh, my first watch. But it, like I'm like right now I'm in my house and it's not warm, but it's not like cold, but it's like 63 and I don't even want to use a pen. I'm just blown away in all these episodes like how everyone just manages to be in the cold there's no hats and i go man how do you hold a sword like that (laughs) you're just you're just impressed by the dexterity yeah grip very very no but this is like i just echoing the the whole concept of like let's let's go save people let's 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 get more people oh i just no, they're up now that we have less people, and they have more people. Though. Just that exchange is <laughs> yeah. is an amazing yeah, exchange, right. right? I mean, it's just whoops. Yeah. So, Jason, um, you mentioned that you had highlighted a few things uh, that you were interested in talking about. I'm just I want to give you some space to do that. Okay. I mean, I do kind of want to talk about the end there. Uh, you know, John. After this horrific battle, John and the others make it to boats and paddle out and look back in horror as more people are being killed and then you know uh i hadn't watched this episode in years and i watched it again this morning to prep for this but it it, something i forgot i mean once this episode aired and a little bit of time had passed the thing around it was the meme of the night king holding his arms up and saying come at me bro (laughs) (laughs) which was so like appropriate right but that's what i then in my head that's what he was saying and it is kind of what he was saying but i had forgotten that the reason he was raising his arms up was to raise the dead that he his um 
you know whites had just killed so uh i'm like oh yeah there was a, another reason and you know he's just that. doing that for dramatic effect right he he, he yeah, can do that right. with his mind if he wants to <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, it oh so just the vibe he was giving off that's richard brake who um played the night king in that season and then another actor took over uh, after that but i thought he was so good i actually did a panel with him in uh, at, at a convention and he was a really nice guy but he did have a little bit of an eerie vibe to him so they picked the right guy for that role did he did he raise <laughs> his hands and and look at you ominously yeah and then the audience all woke up <laughs> anytime he wanted to refill of like his beverage he would just raise his hand and <laughs> run right. over and top him off <laughs> but i mean i just i loved the the feel of the battle it, the freneticness of it the um kind of sam raimi-esque quality to it sometimes a bit stuttery and janky you know uh, or Jason and the Argonauts. I love that the because I had been watching Walking Dead, where if you shoot a zombie in the head, it's dead. And now we see arrows going through their heads, and it has no impact. And some of them are just skeletons. And the fact that they're so fast, and then uh, the sort of lemmings moment where they all yes. come. It's raining zombies, and maybe we, you should run. Oh no, they're not moving. Oh wait, yeah, you should definitely run. Uh, it was incredible. That was just so incredible. And then. Um, when um Carsey, the leader of the wildlings is confronted with those creepy kids one of whom is mostly all ribs mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. with their glowing eyes and there's just that quiet there's a lot of quiet moments in the battle which i really appreciate and just shows the how good uh, miguel sapashnik is sometimes it's loud and frantic and then when it needs to be it's like a quiet face off between two forces so it's just the the it's so well paced with varying elements like sometimes scrambling at the gate and arms jutting through and and for so an episode I, that probably so uses a lot of CGI it this looks like a million bucks yeah just pulling up to hard home and seeing the the snowy cliffs and oh yeah and and when you see the um cold front coming in over the mountains that was pretty cool it's like it's a force approaching little homage there to the fog yeah it makes it feel like a force of nature danielle you were gonna say oh i just i was agreeing that the the cold front the fact that there is this very um kind of environmental element to this threat that you can see it in it gets colder it gets darker like you can kind of see it coming before then you know the actual monsters come out i think it's really effective and the music was it felt oh. horror movie-esque it, especially when it first started there's this like steady string kind of oh shit <laughs> that change to the music is incredible it's one of my favorite kind of score backgrounds to uh, a scene um especially a fight scene it was so good but i my backup observation slash rhetorical question was is anybody else just like why are they just staring at the gates? They know something's coming. That drove me crazy. <laughs> yeah, it kind of gives you the sense. I think that the, they were going for was this is as awe-inspiring as it is terrifying. Like you see that lemming moment where they're all going over the cliff. And you kind of get the idea that they're saying that what is happening? Like, I'm not even sure how to respond to this. But of course, you know. We're sitting at home thinking, run, you fools. <laughs>
And I love that Ed plays the kind of audience member in that when later on when he's like, you need to go or we're going to die here. Um, I, I feel like he's just always our voice of reason. I have a question for you guys. Do you think that this battle is better or not as good as the other big white white walker battle in the long night in season eight well you could see this one yeah i was gonna yes, say that, that helps. <laughs> you could see this one visually it's more impactful that way here's the thing about these battles and that is you know i watched this with my daughter yesterday and she said that she felt like it went on for a bit long um she 20 minutes i think yeah and so she thought maybe you could could have shortened it. But I was thinking the stakes were pretty clear. It's like, there's the wall. If they get through that wall, we're dead. Let's get as many people to the boats as possible. And so I think that sometimes with these battles, they try to convey a sense of chaos. And so it's just like blow after blow after blow, which has a different effect, I suppose. But this mm-hmm. one the story that they were telling was very clean. Mm. You know, you knew the stakes and now you're just sort of letting it wash over you. I mean, there's different aspects that are revealed about this enemy that we've been thinking about for the whole series uh, that, uh, I mean, we already knew they could raise the dead, but just to see it, them take other uh, opponents and turn them into their own, fighting force but also just the fact that john's blade can work against uh-huh. you know the the th- kind of things that i'm sure we're going to talk about more in the podcast but there were different i mean i feel like each part of the battle had its own reason for being yeah and it really advanced the story and the like we said before the stakes of the threat i think it's a bit of an unfair comparison because this was the end of an episode and the long night was the episode so there's so much <laughs> right. more there because my inclination was like oh that that episode's incredible it is but you know we i think that there is um there's also we lose so much in that episode that you kind of come away with this just like terrible feeling mm-hmm. even if there are some really like kind of incredible moments uh like aria in particular actually killing the night king mm-hmm. um but we lost so much that it's hard to look at that and be like oh that was a that was a fun time well yeah this because of you know like you said the stakes we we understand what the stakes are in this moment but then the stakes raise for the entire series as we learn more about you know how it's all going to come together right i mean like that ability to you know we, we understand the concept of the zombies but then just to see the the machinations and how well yeah we just build on it and i don't have to train you don't you guys have to train an army i just make them and they don't have to grow them from dead people they're not especially skilled at sword fighting but and they and they have one move and that is run and eat and bite Mm -hmm. and scratch so there's like so the just the idea of like that frenetic that chaos uh that's i think the one of the most fearful parts of it is that like someone's able to harness chaos and how do you how do you battle that well, and Jason, the point that I love that you brought up is how long have we, how many seasons have we been hearing about what Valyrian steel is? Mm-hmm. How great Valyrian steel is. Nothing holds a blade like Valyrian steel. You know, it's it's super valuable, it's rare, only a few people have these swords. But why? And this episode answers why. 
you know, why is it important that John has long claw? Mm-hmm. Well, now we see it. And it, it, it was a very yeah. great show, not tell moment. And it's especially impactful because you see the white Walker come in with a spear and whack somebody else's sword and it just shatters like glass. And then you see him go to hit John and John blocks it successfully. So you're like, okay, that's what it does. Well, and that's a great moment too, because both sides learn something, right? I mean, that's, that's I love that moment too, because like, like we're learning and then, you know, the thought is, is like, well, all we're learning is how incredibly challenging this, this foe is. And then the foe was like, oh, well, I just learned something too. Mm -hmm. This could be a problem. They were both like, huh, in that moment, like they shared (laughs) something. Well, you learn something new every day, I guess. I think also to your earlier point, Jason, about the um, kind of cultural impact between, we're thinking still between the two episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you said before, this this end of that, that episode sparked this you know, hugely popular meme, right? Uh, yeah. Of the Night King raising his arms. And when we think about the cultural impact of The Long Night, all I remember is everyone talking about how dark the episode yeah. was, like you said earlier. I remember <laughs> so I three things that it was too dark to see, that even though it was glorious, how Arya jumped up and killed the Night King, that it was kind of lame that you could just kill one person and all the forces would just disappear yeah. after that, yeah. after all this buildup. And then the third thing is a lot of times you would see one of our heroes just being engulfed and then the camera would cut to something else and then go back and they'd be fine. And <laughs> so um, it felt a bit like cheating. And even though I wanted, I didn't go back and watch that because I just even thinking back to it, I remember there were some incredible scenes that were just beautiful to watch, like the Dothraki charging out into the darkness. And the lights and- going out yeah 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 so i need to watch it again so i can talk about how great it was but those are the things that stand out to me right so i think when we think about cultural impact hard home from a story but also um that that kind of that cinematic element it stands out a little bit more for me yeah i think it does me too it also sets up the stakes for john the the this massive plot point that Jon Snow's killed. You almost see the stakes of what the alliance means, not just necessarily the battle itself, but you know, you have that moment where the Thens are not going to join, and that seems very realistic to me. You know, you're not going to get all of these wildlings to join your cause because that's mm-hmm. unrealistic. And yet when the attack comes, Jon is fighting side by side with that Then. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. In addition, so you almost kind of see his ability as a battle commander there and a politician, but that you also kind of know when you're rewatching this what the consequence is going to be. He is making friends in a way that's going to alienate the men at the Night's Watch and ultimately result in his death. So you're not just thinking about the battle itself, you're thinking about what the aftermath of the battle is going to be. And it also, I mean, just sets up too, as, as you're watching this is like, and it, it, again, first time I was watching it, you know, like we did our, our, uh, you know, your rewatch and my, my initial was like, I'm trying to track everything that's going on. Who's going to do what, what's, you know, and, and everything is King's King. Everybody wants to be in charge. And there's this, this is an, an episode, I think really that kind of helps put into perspective that the, the Jon Snow greater perspective on 
you know, what's the greater good? What What is it going to take? What, you know, <laughs> there's survival and then there's politics. And at some point you've, you've got to, you've got to mix a little bit of both, but, you know, surviving and thriving are pretty important and you don't always have to trying to convince people, you know, once you, once you see a white Walker come in and shattered blades and eat people, it's like, okay, I think I can agree with you. But then to try to communicate that elsewhere is like, that's where the leadership part comes in. And that's where, you know, it's just, you get a respect for, for Jon Snow as a leader in that mm -hmm. regard. Yeah. It sets up not only the challenge of dealing with this enemy, but the challenge of getting other people on board to help you do it, which then we see him have to struggle with later on. I also think the battle that he experienced and what he sees in at hard home uh, and why it's so effective that they make this change and have him go and have us watch him is that it then characterizes how he kind of talks about this issue in the seasons to yeah. come after he is brought back of like, he's very one track mind. I, we can't talk about anything else. This is the one thing we have to deal with. Yeah. For the next three seasons, this is his single motivator. You know, he's whatever, whatever other political decisions he makes, he saw hard home and he knows the stakes and he's like the Greta Thunberg of <laughs> yeah. Game of Thrones. Very, very good. Very good. Um, so I, I want to make sure I give the major set piece it's due, but there is a lot of other stuff that happens in this yeah. episode before we move on though i want to note that we also learned that the white walkers are a little bit smarmy like <laughs> like they they can kind of throw a little bit of shade with their eyes mm -hmm. you know they're very interested in what john's doing they want to like stare john down the night king almost has a, a tiny little smirk like watch this trick <laughs> well, he... He's posing for the meme. I mean, he's all, he's all, you know, that you could say what you want about their motivations, but he's all about the gram. I mean, he is definitely knows that, that he's being watched. <laughs> so for a show that has given us almost no insight into the, the motives or the character of the big baddie, uh, there's, there's a few choice looks that happen. I just, yeah, I love the body language of the White Walkers and the facial expressions. They're so still and uh, deliberate in their movements. And they're often like, I love the generals just kind of looking down, you know, and when um, John does take Longclaw and swing it at this White Walker and shatters him, you see the Night King kind of looking down. He looks pissed <laughs> and, and he's taking note, you know. But it's still in a very like um, economical of movement way. Yeah, I do think it's it's a bit rich of him to be so cocky when he can't even cross like ten feet of water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, why why wasn't that used to their advantage? Right, but it was a great. I mean. It, it was so good to have some way to set it up where these two could just face off against yeah, each other true. and be close, but yeah, but yet so far away. A little bit Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. I do want to talk about the rest. I mean, this was also the episode where Tyrion and Danny first face off. Yeah. And I think we had been sort of anticipating that for at least a couple seasons. Years. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That made it really notable to me. It 
because Daenerys's storyline always felt so separate from everything else that we were watching. And so now to see these yeah. two together, it was incredible. It was like, oh, wow, I didn't think this day would ever come. So it was super satisfying for me. Yeah, once, once again, from a book reader perspective, it's the thing that hasn't happened yet in the right. book. So it had this like incredible, uh, I don't know, just like uh, air punching moment of this is it. This is the the thing that we haven't gotten yet that we knew was coming. Mm-hmm. And she really kind of has her like her mean face on, you know, <laughs> it's like she's sort of trying to be intimidating to Tyrion. And he has to use his wit and wisdom and humor to sort of break through. I mean, that's the thing we kind of love about Tyrion is that we love to see him with his back against the wall and to sort of think and joke his way out of the corner. It it makes sense that she's coming to him with that attitude. I mean, she says it, your, your brother killed my father, you know? And you're a freaking Lannister. And (laughs) so I, I think, um, and and it's a great for on both sides, you know, I forget exactly what she says, but you know, why should I bring you on with me? And he's like, well, I'm just still deciding if I wanted to come on with you. And that's true too. Like he's there hoping that she's going to be this noble leader that he can get behind, but he doesn't know for sure. So they're both sizing each other up, I guess is my point. Uh, he's just crushing this job interview though like i love the, <laughs> the way that he handles it because it is like there is humor there is like you want to go in there you want to be humble but you got to show confidence in your ability like well maybe i don't want to work here why do you why do i want to work here you know like so there's that that kind of modern that. approach yeah but definitely i you know go to his linkedin i mean i think he's got great tips <laughs> um but it's so so that, but I, I love these these parallels throughout the whole episode right i mean you have John trying to convince, uh, you know, folks to, to join up with, with him that don't want to, uh-huh. that don't want to. And then, then you have this Sam and Ollie conversation. Yeah, but these people, you know, they killed my family. And then meanwhile, you've got the same, same kind of dynamic power dynamic going on here. It's like, well, why <laughs> you're the last person I'd want to trust. Um, you know, why would I want a Lannister a- alongside? So this whole idea of like all these groups coming together is, is, is pretty rich and it's you know and i think that's something we just spend all this time talking about this major battle scene which of course is is huge and it's it's huge for the for the remainder of the um the the series but this is also a massive moment yeah, right i mean right. you you could have th- there is as much rich drama that's coming out of this from a political perspective again you know stakes are unclear for them at this point you know we're unlike like you said the hard home you know finale it's very clear <laughs> get to the boat <laughs> you know like that's kind of it you know at least in that moment but here we have this 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 is where the political side really comes into play and it's it's yeah there's a survival element but not as uh not in that same sense of urgency so like we're seeing a similar type of union going on in the same episode and what's he worried about he's worried about look you need to understand the difference between politics and killing people like you want to take westeros how are you going to do it She's like, I got a big army. I got a big, I got dragons. And he's like, yeah, you kind of need to win friends too, right? So he's, he's worried that she's going to be her father. And what, what is she, what is she worried about? She's worried that he's going to betray her because he's a Lannister and they're not to be trusted. And what ends up happening at the end of the series? She burns down the city and he betrays her, right? (laughs) 
it definitely sets up what will happen later where he's saying like you're you, you can't come in like a conqueror they won't accept you and what does mm -hmm. she do she comes in like a conqueror and that is like that's the uh, accusation that plagues her in all those meetings with cersei and and so on um and i think it's also really interesting that he points out there like yeah you did that in marine how's it going for you <laughs> right <laughs> yeah this whole conversation like it's really once you have the benefit of hindsight you can see her aggressive tendencies and he calls her terrible and i'm terrible i've heard stories i i hope you're the right kind of terrible and it turns out not and that she's going to break this wheel that all these uh, houses you know have crushed the commoners and she ends up crushing the commoners herself and it's interesting too when he Tyrion says when you get back to your home who supports you and she says the common people and i think the reason why she did what she did is because she felt she didn't have the support of the, of the common people so she decided to rule by fear but that's exactly the thing that she's supposed to be fighting against here so um Tyrion just wants her to be a noble um, leader with integrity and everything. And she turns out, in my opinion, to be just like her father, which is tragic. I was just rereading a chapter in A Clash of Kings where Catelyn confronts Renly. And Renly, Renly wants to, Renly thinks he should be king because he'd be the best king. And the reason why he's like, you know, people respect Stannis. They fear Stannis. They don't love Stannis. They love me. And I think that there's, even though that that's sort of a limited view, there is some truth to that. There has to be some amount of political savvy and glad handing and popularity that comes with your reign if you want it to not sort of devolve into just violence and tyranny all the time mm -hmm. and if you want the people to support you yeah that's right and of course she she does try i mean season eight i think is all about trying to get people to love her in westeros and she can't even at the end she can't even get john to love her so but this this little scene with Tyrion kind of foreshadows this mm -hmm. is she her father or is she is she her older brother i guess and it, I think a lot of it then becomes, if we're looking forward and how this uh, continues on into the, the end of her arc, um, a lot of it comes down to the issues with her being seen as a foreign invader with a foreign army and the mm. the xenophobia that that seeps into Westeros and they see John as one of their own and that that's why they don't love her right um yeah. it, it's it's because of what she represents as an outsider as mm -hmm. an other and that's part of the Targaryen way it always has been they marry within themselves they look a very specific type of way that's not Westerosi um and and it continues this divide between them and it affected the family dynasty the first time and it affects her again this time that they don't assimilate to the culture of Westeros for better or worse right yes that's right and she desperately thinks of westeros as her home a place that she has no living memory of mm -hmm. and deeply tragic yeah, yeah that's right that's right um i was noting also that uh she uses that phrase break the wheel and i don't know if this is the first time she uses it i think yeah. it is it is. It made the trailer. It was like the big line. Right. And you kind of get the, the sense that she, what does she think that the wheel is, I guess, is a question. She, you know, she says, you know, 
High Towers on top, Lannisters on top, Starks on top. It's just a big wheel. I'm going to break it. She says, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. And then Tyrion says, it's a beautiful dream stopping the wheel. You're not the first person who's ever dreamt it. And then she goes, I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break right. the wheel. So I think it's... It, she mentioned you know crushing those on the ground so i think it's about these uh power hungry people just crushing the commoners so then it's sort of ironic yeah i think that how that ends up going but i think there's two ways to read it you could say i'm yeah. going to break the i'm going to break the system of power that oppresses the con the common folk which i think is always the way i interpret it mm-hmm. if on rewatch you could look at it a different way you could say these houses need to be broken because I need to be on top. Right. To me, it reads as the, the, yeah, the noble families. And that if I think I now have a very house of the dragon coloring of my rewatch, because I've been watching that show of thinking about what it was like for the Targaryens to come in and rule and have to work with these other prominent families and play politics with them. And now I look at this line as her just saying, I don't want to play that anymore. I'm going to crush all the other houses and it's just going to be me and my crew. Mm -hmm. But I do think she justifies it with this idea that she's going to be good for the, for the commoners because she mentions it, you know, on and on it spins crushing those on the ground. And then when Tyrion says, when you get back home, who supports you? And she says the common people. So in her mind, she is going to have the love of the common people and she's going to be a good benevolent queen for them. I think that's what she has in mind. Well, and I, I think, and I think that's what, what she believes. Yeah. And I, but I think it's in And so I think there's a sincerity, but I think there's also like, there are these little clues that it's like, when she says break the wheel, she, that that's a violent response, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, and, and she and talks I, of burning cities to the ground before that. Yeah. So, that's right. Like so it's like there's core. these little clues. Yeah. So it's like she she can't like her impulse is you know which on one hand you go you, you could read it as sort of this empowering like yeah break that wheel and 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 that's good for all the people but her language is you know it's key and I think like there's these clues to who she is and it's it's yeah. Yeah, and that's what's what's just great about the the rewatch. But I, but I I also do believe two things are equally true that I I think she thinks she's right yeah. in that regard, yeah. and, and I think she I think she it's, actually is motivated in in many ways by something a little more altruistic. But sure, she I doesn't think, have that ability. It, it's a rationale. I mean, she's got a fiery idealism, and maybe she doesn't even realize how much of what she's doing is really because she's power hungry, and she's just sort of. Uh, focusing on how much better it's going to be but when it really comes down to it, it it ends up being about the power and i just don't know if she fully realized that herself i think from a historical perspective too most yeah. conquerors see themselves as liberators yeah mm-hmm. and, and then it and, goes bad sometimes yeah and most most characters most people don't see themselves and their actions as as overtly bad i think they justify to themselves that you know this is for the greater good and I think if we, you know, compare to, let's say, like Tywin Lannister doing the Red Wedding, what's his argument? Well, how many common people would die in battle? This this saved them, right? Right. It's a way of justifying hmm. actions that they think are for the best. And I think that there's a, t- I mean, I think I fall into this temptation from time to time. I think that I have tended to read Danny as sort of an undercover antagonist that you know the show sort of subverts that teaches us to love her 
and then like pulls the rug out from under us. Mm-hmm. But I think that maybe she's more of a gray character than we've given her credit for. It very well could be that she does start with the best of intentions. And this is a story of power corrupting. You know, she has the biggest weapons on the board. And if you've got the biggest weapons on the board, you're going to first improve the lot of yourself and the people around you. And then the temptation not to keep using those weapons is just too much to overcome. But she's just, she's a complicated character. But even in this episode, the first thing Tyrion has to do is to convince her not to kill Jorah Mormont, (laughs) right? So he already knows that he's hoping she's going to be this benevolent queen, the leader she's been looking for, but he already is having to temper her aggressiveness. So it's there already, you know? And I think it's also important when we talk about our character for me to always think about how it's not just power corrupting, but it's also it's how it's corrupted alongside her trauma, because Mm. as she suffers, like from season one to season eight and everything she's lost and everything she's had to endure, we see it it really starting to congeal and, and get worse and worse for her. Um, so I do. I think she's incredibly gray as a character. I think that there is that is kind of the the complexity of the show that when you have her up against Cersei, you're like, oh, I kind of see Cersei's point and I don't want to. <laughs> it's that well, it's very complex. I really I really like that, uh, Danielle, that you you kind of frame that through like kind of operating through uh, a filter of trauma, I think is really mm-hmm. uh, is something I think that that's really worth, you know, adding that layer, you know, as, as, you know, we try to ungray her, right? Like, I mean, she, she could be having two, you know, we just talk about how like, yeah, it seems like maybe she really does believe her intentions are good, but she has this violent tendency. Like the question mm-hmm. is, which is Targaryen, you know, which is nature, which is nurture, right? Which is, you know, mm-hmm. it, does she have this maybe maybe she really is this uh different type of leader but you know you can only go through so much before that you know has an impact on you and and yeah. and, and, it, and it colors your your motivations and, and you know get to a point where you're just like you know what i've been through a lot i have dragons get out of here <laughs> and it's very possible that if things had gone a different way that she would have been a good leader maybe you know maybe mm-hmm. I think it's far more interesting than saying Targaryens be crazy. Yeah. Right. It's right. Not, that's not very interesting, but it's so yeah. much more interesting. But if they are. Person <laughs> who's, who's gone through a lot and then they keep being told you could go crazy. That's a thing that could happen. Also, here's yeah. some nukes. Like if they think that's way more well, interesting. Well, I think that that's part of it. Agreed. I think for, I mean, of course, this is a, a fantasy story. And so we got to talk about like the, the psychic bonding with dragons and whatnot. But if anyone... If you just think about, like, give a normal person a nuclear weapon, and now they're not normal anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And then take everyone they love around them. (laughs) I I just don't know what I would, like, yes, if if I had access to a nuclear bomb, I would not be a normal person anymore. It might drive me crazy. I don't know what would happen to me. (laughs) I think you would dismantle it, but I don't know you very well, so I'm not sure. I would blow myself up, for sure. (laughs) I would be more concerned about him trying to do good. Um, (laughs) With the the bomb. Well, it's it's funny because you mentioned that because it's also like I I get fatigue in in the news of hearing about how, like, man, these billionaires seem so detached from reality. I'm like, yeah, 
That's what billions of dollars will do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, we're just like, well, like, I, let me guess, you know, Bezos is going to eat camel only now. And it's like, okay, fine. You know, whatever. I mean, that's just, it's like, he's running out of ideas. Wants to feel something. Well, I think yeah. that that's part of Danny's character, right? It's the frog in the boiling water. Season by season, she kills people in, with her dragons in seemingly justified ways. And we, you know, yell badass at our TV every season until it starts to be like well wait a minute (laughs) now she's in westeros and the bad people she's killing are like kind of people that we sort of like oh no um and and then it becomes this like what happened she went you know she she lost it overnight and it's it's just that's not really how it happened we just we justified it alongside her for so long Mm -hmm. and thousands of people across the world are like wait i named my daughter daenerys (laughs) right (laughs) calling her mother you know and we also have to contextualize she is canonically very young too when this is all happening well there's a parallel here I thought was interesting. It's a very sort of minor storyline here, but Sansa confronts Theon, who deserves. I mean, they both they both kind of acknowledge like he deserves to have been tortured. He deserves to have been to have Theon cut away from his body physically. You know that she says, "I would do everything." that Ramsey has done to you. I would do it right now if I could, because you deserved it. And then he says, yes, I deserved it. And you kind of wonder if both of them, if either of them are even right, you know, it's like they're both saying it, but now I kind of like Theon a little bit, or at least I pity Theon a little bit. And of course what he did was horrible. And yet what does justice even look like in that situation? For me, not what happened to him. (laughs) Yeah, that's a bit much. (laughs) Not that. And I think, you know, I would be curious to hear if you all think that Sansa meant that when she said that. Because I don't think, I don't think she did. I think that that's very clear with just how she's lashed, that's in her character to lash out. But she definitely still sees him as family and it's more just the hurt of betraying their family. She's filtering through her trauma too, right? She's young. And she's probably been pissed off at Theon for years at this point. And And she thinks he's killed her two brothers. That's right. And he is a murderer. There's no no doubt about that. She doesn't care about that, though. It wasn't them. And she's like, okay, well, where are they then? Like... (laughs) Forget the common kids. Yeah. Like here's another group of nobles who don't care about the common. Right, right. I think that's a that's an interesting moment too. And I and I and it uh, it got me the first time I watched it, but the, even more so now, especially when you look at it in context with all the other conversations going on and the idea of you know you got John just trying to save everybody, and you have you know uh, Sam uh, doing the you know like hey you know what there there was there's good people on both sides, which you know is a, a, a classic <laughs> statement now. And then you've got. Uh, you know, there, you know, there's some there's some bad apples in the in the wild, and and then um and then but then you've got you know the whole discussion about you know breaking the wheel and you know the common people and all this stuff. But then you get the sense of like, oh, good, you just killed two kids that I don't care about. They're uh, they were just farm kids. I mean, like, I mean, I understand that there's this moment where she's just excited that you know the the potential that her brothers are alive, but but that that I think that that's a very intentional moment, right? I mean, that that is like like, oh, okay, what a relief. Well, and she's in her feelings, and if she had access to three dragons, 
I think mm-hmm. Theon's dead. And mm-hmm. yet, in normal life, you don't have a dragon, and and maybe the story's a little bit more complicated than you thought. It could be that the person in front of you who you've always thought was your enemy, enemy is actually your ally. And I think that that is one of the major themes of this episode. Yeah. I, I also think when we look broadly at Sansa's character, too, from the beginning's hand, she, a lot of what characterizes her arc is she is her acceptance of being a northerner and her connection to home and her family she wants in the beginning she wants to leave so badly realizes that was not the best plan and she wants to be back in winterfell and that's her ending arc right that's she wants to stay in Mm. winterfell and i think that there is and then she comes home in this version in a very um traumatizing way um horrifically violent way so i think that her relationship with theon is so interesting through, viewed through that lens because he is Winterfell to her. He was there her whole life. He is like a brother to her. And it, and so it's very complicated. I don't, I don't think it's so simple as that, that she would um, knock him out with some dragons if she had them. I think that this is a very painful uh, thing to, to hmm. confront. She sees him as an ally. She keeps trying to get him to help her because I think she does see him as family hmm. and, is is deeply hurt and betrayed by what she thinks he did so i just think it's so much more um complicated and really rooted in her arc of like coming home and what that means to her i've got a few categories i'd like to cover here in this episode who wins the Tyrion lannister award for most memorable line so i'm going to give you a few uh, ideas here of course you can add any that you're interested in uh, Tormund invents the Mandalorian by saying, "This is the way." <laughs> um, so that that was a really nice in retrospect. Uh, Carsey says, "I fucking hate thins." Uh, I, <laughs> I love that one. Uh, one one says, "What the fuck are you looking at?" Uh, that was nice. Tyrion <laughs> says, "Killing and politics are not always the same thing." Uh, he says that to Danny. Not always. Sam says, in in reference to John, he says he always comes back. Uh, Danny says, "I'm going to break the wheel." And Ramsey has a great one. He says, "Hit hard, hit fast, and leave a feast for crows," mm-hmm. which is an homage to uh, one of the book titles. Uh, so, uh, Jason, let's start with you. What do you think the uh, the most mem- the Tyrion Lannister Award for most memorable line? I had a different favorite oh, line. Yeah. <laughs> when the wildlings are trying to decide if they'll ally with Jon Snow and one of the other leaders says, my ancestors would spit on me if I broke bread with a crow. And Carsey says, so would mine, but fuck them, they're dead. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that great. Was, that was yeah. good. That was good. How about you, Steve? Um, yeah, I like that one, too. I also uh, made note. I just... It, when uh uh when Tyrion is his ass or you know like he's his response to uh basically are you Tyrion Lannister he says if only I were otherwise <laughs> I it just it's just such a like oh, the burden to be me in many ways it's just so mm-hmm. uh Daniel so I also brought a couple other ones too uh an honorable mention to Jon Snow I'm not asking you to forget your dead I'll never forget mine oh. I that was uh, just a really mm-hmm. powerful line um, but the one I, I did bring and I picked was I fucking hate fence. 
It's all good. <laughs> uh, Nessa loved the one one line. What the fuck are you looking at? Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a good <laughs> so laugh. Line. That, what a gr- great episode for lines. How many great lines? Mm-hmm. There were a lot. Uh, the Thens Award for Most Delicious Character. Jason? Carsey, by a mile. She, she's she got this calm, centered vibe. This was her only episode, yeah, right? We right. hadn't seen and her And only before. half the episode, really. It... And, yeah. And, I mean, a different version of her was in the latter half. But uh, she's powerful, intelligent, thoughtful, a badass fighter, beautiful. Uh, she does the right thing for her people i she even showed a little hint of a sense of humor when um carsey said to Tormund, you vouch for this man Tormund," and he goes he's prettier than both my daughters and she kind of <laughs> smiled at that so um yeah I, I liked her a lot right away i thought she had a great vibe and then she was taken from us tragically yeah. steve who wins the Fens award for most delicious character uh, yeah, I, I went with the same one with the, as, as Jason, just because it's it's amazing how we we get introduced to this character uh, in a way that feels like scene stealing, but still organic. And then you know when you see the you know when she becomes part of the resurrected, you know it happens. It's going to happen, but it's like uh, that it moves you. And for a character to be introduced and have like this complete arc in one episode in a way that I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm yeah. like, not her, you know, yeah. and I didn't matter. Yeah. You know, and I, so I just think that they did a really great job of really humanizing this whole sequence because I mean, that's the whole thing you're going to, you, you, we don't really know these wildlings. We, we know some, but to introduce us to one that we care about in such a way that, uh, I don't know. It just, it was, it was, it was, it was great work. So, yeah. Yeah, I think she's she's on the screen for 20 minutes. And I feel like they were able to do more for this character in 20 minutes than they did for the entire Dorn plot <laughs> over the course of season 5. Uh totally yeah, you're humanizing, you care what happens to her. You see a little you see like at least three or four stages to her story arc. Really, really impressive mm-hmm. for sure. When she said to her daughter, "You know, I'll, I'll be right back," it's like, ah, crap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this, what this like. There were so many classic horror movie tropes uh-huh. in this uh, that really work. You know, like like we were talking about earlier. Like, why are they just watching? It's like, well, you've got to go to the door that it's quiet now. You just have to, and you have to peer through it. <laughs> right. right. Uh, Danielle, uh, Fenn's award for most delicious. So I agree with what everyone said. I think Carsey is an awesome character. I didn't pick her for this category, though. I did put her in later. She'll come back for me. Uh, <laughs> but I I, <laughs> I went with one one. Oh, because nice. As most delicious. I just really read into that of like what that appearance of one one for me was so satisfying for as a book reader as someone who's been looking for him waiting for him worried we'll never see him for him to come in in that moment it was just like oh i think of delicious as like oh so satisfying so I let me just say you a lot of what they did with that was practical effects which in my mind tend not to work like whenever i've seen like with size. With size, the size mm-hmm. displacement. Generally, like even with like Lord of the Rings, it, it just doesn't tend to work for me. 
this really worked. I, I was I was really impressed with everything related to one one. Yeah. I I feel like it didn't detract from everything else going on. Like they just kind of introduced him. He's there. If that meant something to you, great. If not, you're still like cool, funny giant who's gonna <laughs> say what the fuck are you looking at? Like everyone's happy. It just it was very satisfying to me. So fun to watch him fight. But yeah, that line, what the fuck are you looking at? It's great because it makes him feel real world relatable because anyone who is different in some way and and gets looked at because of it is going to develop that attitude or a lot of people do, you know. Hmm. Uh, according to my daughter, Miss Sandy is just unquestionably delicious. So hmm. can't argue with that. Um, all right, Jason Craster's award for most problematic character in this episode. I'm going to go with Daenerys just because I think it's. It, she ends up being problematic and there's a lot of the seeds of that in this episode and, and we've already yeah. kind of talked through all of that Danielle I went for the Lord of Bones <laughs> for his queer phobic yeah. remarks so we don't need that, <laughs> problematic yeah I was getting here. a homophobic vibe from Lord of Bones but he immediately gets cancelled by, yes. <laughs> by right. shut down, blocked, you're blocked you're out of here is that just no, we're not even engaging in this nonsense. Craster's <laughs> award for most problematic character, Steve. Yeah, I had Lord of Bones too. Um, yeah, and and the way that uh, Tormund uh, unfriended him in front of everybody was amazing. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, no, because like, I mean, it's it's it was, and I think it was just a fascinating uh, little because you really think he's going to be like problematic in the sense that like this is going to be the big obstacle to getting any kind of negotiation going and, oh no all he had to do was uh, some trigger words and gone <laughs> and no one seems very upset about it it's kind of like right. yeah, yeah hate that guy <laughs> yeah that was the thing is you're expecting it to be something a little bit more they're like you know what he he that's he uses that same line every time it's it's ridiculous. the same problem that football players it's hard to humanize them because of their that helmet they're wearing <laughs> So if you put like a a giant skull over your own skull, no one's going to care if you die. Well, it's a perfect metaphor for the anonymous troll online, right? <laughs> you, you can say anything if you feel like no one can see your face. Yeah, he's he's, he's Lord of Bones 69420 on Xbox. Yeah, and then, no, it, like, it, did they did they they vote for him to be Lord of Bones? He just like puts on a skull mask. I'm Lord of Bones now. And if you don't yeah, think you so, you call me that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, like that. buddy. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Arya Stark Award for best use of a weapon, Jason. I'm gonna say obviously Septonella with her um, ladle. <laughs> turning, Just turning a, an uh, instrument of care into a weapon is. <laughs> I, I mean, I could win, really, but of course, this episode was kind of made for this question, and it's you know John just shattering this White Walker with, with long claw. Uh, Dan Danielle, absolutely have to agree. There's no other option. Steve, yeah, I was gonna do that. One. I think to me the 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 baddest ass weapon was uh, the power of resurrection. I thought uh, I thought that was just like wait when he when he when he memes it up and it was like suddenly it was like oh my gosh that's that's good, just, yeah. that's, that's that's incredible. All right, yeah. so I've got a different one too. So I had forgotten that this was a weapon that was used and I just kept on thinking whenever I saw one one 
Give that mm. guy a big stick or something. Give him a big. Why does he never a have a weapon? Pole. Give him a <laughs> give him a, a telephone pole or something. And then he's holding a telephone pole that's on fire on one end, and he's using it as a big baseball bat. And I just I was thrilled. I had totally forgotten about that. Yes, doesn't get much more awesome. Okay, all right, but you're right. You know the the, the Valerian steel reveal is is a crucial part to this for sure. Um, is there one tweak? Um, we'll start with you, Steve. Is there one tweak to this episode that you think would have improved it? It's always Jorah's hair. <laughs> <laughs> you you don't like his hair? Just always. It takes me out of it every single time. He, he kind of has Lego hair. It looks like it just clips right on. There. <laughs> yeah, just I don't know. It just it, like I'm all. This is I'm all. It, it's always looks like he's styling it that way on purpose. We all know that guy. <laughs> Not going to be able to unsee this now. I know. I'm thinking the same thing. He's broken. Danielle, did you have a, a tweak to this episode that you thought would improve it? Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly nitpicky. Let me just say, because uh, I really love this episode. And and it's because it's, it's being said with love. I have deep love for the Carsey character i as everyone has already covered before i think she's an incredible one episode arc mm-hmm. one of the best they have. and her final fight has always bothered me um i i think it is a little reductive yeah. to be like a mom can't see past being a mom in those mm, moments here, here's a mom she it, gets frozen she, up by zombie children it, this badass she's going for it it just mm. it felt it felt really um i don't know just like a, a cheap yeah. move uh, what to her character so while i think it could have been powerful i think a tiny tweak i would have liked to see her go down fighting them instead of just putting her arms up freezing up um and we could see her struggling with it we could see her pulling punches we could see her knocking one down and like scream crying like we could see the the turmoil without it being so weak at the end for me yeah and i and I, I could tell you right now um if, you know knowing my wife if she was in that situation she would definitely go down punching a kid <laughs> that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying to, to to assume to assume that motherhood is just con is just it doesn't have that also in there in their bag i, I think that that's just wrong mm-hmm at first, when I first saw it premiere, I was so confused and I had to go back because I thought that somehow they had gotten her kids because it right. didn't make uh. sense that like, oh, mo- moms and all kids. It just felt like, I don't know. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's 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 reductive to me. No, that, that, that's a, yeah, I, I got that same sense. It's like, oh, that maybe it's the, maybe it's got to be your kids. And I was like, but how did that yeah. happen? No, it's and- not. And then realize, oh, it wasn't. And then it was, yeah. So it's like to, to have that moment of pause does indicate something. Something's a little off. Okay, so Jason, you got a one tweak that you would make to this episode to improve it? Yeah, I kind of agree with both of the ones about Carsey and uh, Jorah's hair, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I thought this was a pretty flawless episode. I, I, I maybe this is uh, not realistic, but. I, the wildlings outfits all being pretty much exactly the same kind of takes me out mm-hmm. of it. Maybe that's how it would be, but the uniformity, it just felt like the, uh, you know, costume department 
just stitched up all the same costumes and gave mm-hmm. it to him and mm-hmm. that kind of took me out a little bit same i feel somewhat similar when we go to dorn ever or even in marine some sure yeah yeah my tweak is you see one one leaving for the boats he's sort of waist deep in the ocean and then he disappears what happens to one one does he crawl on one of those ships is, isn't he too big for that does he backstroke like all whale. the way I, I don't know what happens to one one i'd like to know giants can hold their breath for three weeks underwater <laughs> it's not widely known okay. but yeah all right it's actually the reason they get back to castle black so quickly yeah. he just picks up the ship and then walks puts it under his arm <laughs> All right, Jason, uh, who gets the Emmy? Which character are you submitting for an acting Emmy for this episode? I'm always impressed with Alfie Allen as Theon, just feeling so broken and hollow. And I, I really feel for him every time I see him after what happened to him. He's a little bit uh, Gollum and Smeagol in this episode. There is no Theon. There's something about that that I thought was effective. Yeah, he's just broken and kind of confused and sad. Steve, Emmy Real submission? Uh, I'd probably just, I got to give it to Dinklage usually. You know, it's kind of an easy one. Um, There's just that, like I said, the, the job interview moment, he has some really wonderful lines and he just, uh, he does a lot facially, um, especially when he's going, doing the back and forth between what to do with Jorah, you know, how do you solve a problem like Sir Jorah? I like that whole sequence. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Danielle? Uh, so this was the, um, this is the one that I had Carsey for, um, Bridget Hort Sorensen, I believe. I just that's where I put her. I thought she deserved like my my big Emmy moment to do what she yeah. did in 20 minutes mm-hmm. and achieve that kind of emotion and um if fan buy-in, viewer buy-in, yeah. if you will. Uh, and and to to be then my one issue with the whole episode, um, because I'm like, I want better for her. She's <laughs> so good. I think uh I would pick her. Um, we've talked about her a lot, so I don't have to go too much more into that. But I would also like to give an honorable mention to Kit Harrington's face acting uh, at the end. Yeah. Um, mm. Because he does a lot with his face. A lot is conveyed there. And I think that's also very effective. Yeah, that's actually mine. I don't, I'm not usually a huge Kit Harrington fan um, in terms of just like him, whether or not he's one of the better actors on the show. But this episode, I thought he was fantastic that that line i'll never forget my dad i really felt Uh in that moment that you know there's he's being a politician on the surface but underneath he's seething with feelings of vengeance and And it's also smart to let them know that he does feel that way and yet he's overcoming it you know he's putting it aside so to have that layered performance there i thought that was really impressive and because we haven't mentioned it can we just also add politician or not the most ned stark moment when he's like yeah i shot him in the heart <laughs> like, all right yeah. God, there was another way of going about that right. i just 
I think that was also it was frustrating, but well delivered because that's very true to character. Yeah, right. he's so honest, and it was a very, also a very smart way for the two of them. Almost they they could have talked it over ahead of time. All right, I'm going to be the honest one and deliver uh-huh. the hard news, and then you come <laughs> in and say that you did it to actually as a mercy. Because if John had said I did it as a mercy, it wouldn't have been as powerful. Yeah. Okay, um, Danielle, final thoughts on this episode. I loved it. I thought it was a really good episode, really strong. Sad we didn't talk about Arya. Um, it's it's, but it was more planting the seeds of some big Arya moments to come for sure. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was a I thought it was a great episode, and um, definitely definitely a a good one to have on your on your top four. Um, Steve, final thoughts on Hard Home? Yeah, it was a great rewatch. Um, there's. Uh it's so much of what's great about the series is on display. Like, you know, like we talked about some of the cinematic, um, you know, just how grand uh, so many uh, shots were. And then there were still these compelling moments of, um, of no action. Right. And like, it's amazing mm-hmm. how that, that I, I can find myself almost having similar uh, responses to both, you know, and that's what I just really love about this particular show is just that there is like, I can, I can, be as moved by a, a a purely dialogue driven political episode as I am one with with a grand spectacle without feeling like the spectacle needed to be there to mm-hmm. just uh, just to, to to keep the eyes on the set you know yeah yeah because I I don't want in a show like this that's so smart I don't want these big action pieces to somehow cheapen yeah. it you know they all well, they, it all works together really well. Well, you sit through this. You sit through this thing of just action, 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 and the most chilling moment is at the end when the action's essentially yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the implications of of, of what. Right, you're right. Like I don't even really like action movies all that much, and Michael Bay is, I think, the worst. And so when I see action and it it um, augments the emotion and the story, that's when it's best. And mm. this really does that. My final thought here is, I would love to see this as an inspiration for house of the dragon, like go off script, you know, introduce a mm-hmm. character like Carsey. That's maybe not in the original story, expand the world a bit. Don't be afraid to go away from the sacred canon because maybe the fans won't like it. This is a great example of going off script and, and expanding the world and creating new characters that people fall in love with. So I, I really wish House of the Dragon would learn a lesson from this episode. Well, they've got some time to figure it out. <laughs> they have ex- extra time now to figure it out. <laughs> All right, Jason, we'll we'll go out with uh, your final thoughts on Hard Home. Oh, I I'm so happy that because you know I hadn't seen this in years, and since then we've had the amazing other action-oriented episodes of game of thrones to compare it to and then there's been some other big zombie things you know most notably the last mm-hmm. of us there were some pretty spectacular scenes in that so i wasn't sure if it would hold up but it for me it completely did and I, it was a pleasure to see a lot of things about it that i'd forgotten and even just talking to you guys about it makes me like it even more and then i totally didn't even remember that the whole thing with uh daenerys and yeah. Tyrion was also in this episode and that was a pleasure to watch again so it was great jason where can uh, people find you what are you working on these days 
My network is called podcastica.com. We cover a bunch of different TV shows. Right now, Yellow Jackets is kind of the biggest one on Showtime. And we have a podcast, Yellow Jackets WTF. And that's a really fun black comedy of a show. If you haven't heard of it, I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, we also have podcasts on Mrs. Maisel right now, on From, this MGM Plus mm. show, Sweet Tooth on Netflix. Uh, we're doing a Lost Rewatch, and we just you know finished fairly recently Last of Us and tons of other stuff. Fantastic. On there. And so they can just search for Podcastica wherever they search for podcasts podcasts yeah, yeah uh-huh. danielle um yeah. maybe a, a book title where, where can people buy one of your books um well kurt you can still buy uh see my work in game of thrones versus history written in blood i think that's probably going to be the most interesting to the viewers otherwise i have a upcoming book coming out about uh you know eating animals in, in the americas um which i don't know how interesting that is for people do you have a working title this, but... for that yeah, it's called uh, Eating Animals in the America's Consuming Empire. Uh, it's about colonizers trying to figure out how to how to set up a food system when they built colonies in the mm, Americas. And they, they look at uh, iguanas and possums and raccoons and go, can I eat that? <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a fun one. That's coming out um, probably next year. Um, but otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter at Danielle underscore OEC. And uh, Steve, where can people find your comedy schedule? Uh, they go to steveosborne.com. That's uh, usually up to date. And then, of course, there are other podcasts that you can find me on um, with you. Yeah. yeah. Hey, guys, thank you so much. It was a, a thrilling episode and an even more thrilling conversation. Thank you. Yeah, it was really great to meet you guys. I think you're all equally honorable. And uh, <laughs> it was super fun to talk about this episode. Very much enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, it was a treat. Was it good enough to actually be published or? It could just be that I edit out all of your audio and it's just me talking. And then you'll know, you'll know what I think of you are at that point. At least we helped in some small way. That sounds like a good one.